0: Morning. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 today, so we have moved almost halfway through the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, we're looking at verses 1 through 5 together this morning. Let's go ahead and read the passage together. There's an evil which I've seen under the under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor... So that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity. It is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he... For he that cometh in the vanity departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he no good. Do not all go to one place. We come to this passage of scripture. It's going to be kind of a negative topic this morning. Not that I enjoy going through negative topics, but the reality is when we talk about wisdom, we have to kind of look at the entirety of the experience that we go through in life. And there are some very positive experiences. There are some experiences we come out being encouraged and strengthened by. And there are others that they leave us, frankly put, perplexed. And today, today we're going to look at the perplexing tragedies that we experience in life and how even though we go through those things, I want to leave us on a hopeful position, recognizing that there is a future glory for the Christian. But we do need to realize that we look at the passage in front of us, we are dealing with life under the sun as we see it. If all you had was the here and now, the moment that you live on this planet, the good and the bad that you experience, how would you look at those things? And we do need to realize that there are some people that experience a lot of good in life. And though they experience a lot of good, they still do experience evil through seasons and challenges. But then there are other folks that the reality is they go through very tragic lives, and he's actually addressing this issue. He's saying, there are some people that as I observe their life, I do see that there's good there, but it's so tragic the way that their life goes that the good that they have, they actually are not able to enjoy it. They don't appreciate it. They're not able to see it. They're not able to actually enjoy those benefits. And He said, I look at those situations and I have to make some kind of an assessment of those situations. And so that's really what he's dealing with here. So let me give you a simple summary statement and then we'll look at two simple facts or truths that are found in this passage. A summary is this. There are some tragedies in life that are so perplexing we can never fully comprehend that. In other words, we don't actually have the answer. We don't have the ability to fix the issue. We don't have the ability sometimes to make sense of certain things that we go through. We may have a friend, somebody that's very dear to us. They go through this tragic situation and we sit down with them and they say, what's God teaching me here? Why did he allow this to happen? Why did it happen to me? Why couldn't this have happened in a different way? And when we look at those situations, there's something inside of us that desperately wants to give concrete answers. Here's why. Here's how long. This is why you. But the reality is this. Sometimes you can't do that. In fact, many times you can't do that. In fact, that's exactly what Job's friends did with him. Job is going through a tragic set of circumstances. The truth is that those men had absolutely no – they had really no understanding of ultimately why God allowed Job to go through what he did. They tried to give him answers though. They actually even indicted him in the middle of the process. And they said, the reason that you're experiencing this is because of this and that, and really ultimately it's because of something inside of you that God is punishing you for. But the fact is by the end of the book, we see that God never gives an answer to Job. And and God definitely brings those men before him and he rebukes them because they spoke without knowledge. And they gave definitive, concrete answers of why and what the problem was when the fact is, as limited creatures, having limited knowledge and not having a full perspective, they spoke in error. I think that's the kind of thing that that basically Solomon is expressing here. There are times that we look at situations in life and we don't have answers. And we can try to get answers and we can try to give answers. But our answers will never really grasp the entire situation that we're dealing with. And so let's look at two simple truths here. The first is this. There are certain tragedies in life that just leave us deeply perplexed. Verse one, he says, there's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it is common among men. Now, when he says it's an evil that I've seen, he says, I look around and there are things that I see in life that I just don't have answers for. They're perplexing. In fact, it's more common than I'd like to admit. And I look at these situations. I'm a, I'm a wise person. I have experience. Obviously, Solomon knew God. And so he had, he had we, we could say, a, a biblical worldview when he looked at things. But as he looks at this and as he expresses how he feels about it, he says, it's perplexing. I don't even know what to say about it. He says, there are some people that God has blessed personally, materially. Yet in the end, they don't enjoy any of those things that they have actually received. In fact, somebody else actually enjoys the blessings that God gave that person. He says, a man to whom God hath given riches and wealth and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. In other words, this is a person who has money. This is a person who actually has material possessions, This is a person who receives a huge honor, yet in the end, they don't actually enjoy the benefits of those riches or those possessions or those honors. In other words, you have a person who saved their entire life so that they can buy a piece of property that they've always wanted, so they can build that house that they've always wanted. There was a position that they labored their entire life to get to. And finally, at the end of all that, they get that position. They're able to purchase that property. They're able to finish that house, only to tragically pass away in a moment. And someone else is going to enjoy the fruits of their labors. And Solomon says, when I look at a situation like that, I have no answer for the person who asks why. Why did that happen? In fact, he expresses it this way. He says this is an evil disease. He said, it's something that's tragic. It's something that infects humanity. And he says, when I look at these things, I just don't even know how to wrap my mind around them. And perhaps there's situations like that that you've experienced or that you've witnessed. And you see those kinds of things. And like Solomon, a very wise man who has a biblical worldview, you go, I don't have an answer. I can't fix that problem. There are so many question marks that I have. What do I do with a situation like that? We're going to address that in just a minute. Then we see a second truth. There's a long life filled with good things, but this does not guarantee happiness. Just because a person lives to be very old and just because a person lives to be old and financially prosperous doesn't mean in the end he's going to be happy. And it's kind of interesting how Solomon puts it. He says, if a man beget a hundred children, And we need to realize that he's writing during a time period where children were viewed as a sign of strength and a sign of blessing. Think about the psalmist who said, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You think about some of the women in the Bible who were barren and how deeply troubling and difficult it was for those ladies and how desperately they wanted a child. Think about Hannah who's weeping in the tabernacle, pleading with God to give her a child. In other words, children were a symbol of blessing and a symbol of God's of God's hand of goodness upon someone, of strength. And so he says, here's a man that has a hundred children and he lives a long life. And you say, this person must have everything that he needs. He says, so that his days and his years are many and his soul be not filled with good, also, that he hath no burial, I say, an untimely birth is better than he. He says, Here's this man who enjoys a lot of blessing, but in the end, he's forgotten. In the end, nobody is there at his funeral. Nobody is there to celebrate his life. He had good, but he never actually was able to enjoy that good. This is what Solomon's assessment is. He says, The child that dies before it's born is actually in a better place, in a better position than that man. And you know, that's something that you look at and you say, how in the world could Solomon say that? Well, basically what Solomon's trying to say is, this man's life was a tragedy. From a simply looking at the moment, the time he lived here, the things that he received and how little he was able to enjoy it, he says that was a tragedy. He said it would be better off for him had he never experienced that long life and those blessings that he never was able to actually appreciate and enjoy. And so when Solomon says this, this is just another way of saying that there is a lot of emptiness and a lot of perplexing situations, many perplexing situations that we can see in this life. And sometimes we walk away and we just don't know how to actually wrap our minds around that. So here's the question. Based on what we've just mentioned in this passage, what are some things that we should take away from this? You know, As we try to reflect on this and as we try to meditate on it and chew on it, what should we take away from it? Let me give you a couple things that I hope will be a help to you, and we'll actually turn this from being a negative uh, thinking into something that's a little bit more positive and hopeful. The first thing is this. True wisdom looks at all of life. In other words, when we talk about true wisdom, we can't just talk about the positive sides of life. There are situations that are very positive, and there are situations that we have tremendous clarity on when we look at them, and we can give a lot of answers to people. But there are other situations in life that are not like that. We can look at a situation that's absolutely tragic. Humanly speaking, there is nothing we can see positive that's come out of it. And when people ask us for answers, the best answer is, I don't know. I really don't know. And so we have to recognize that real wisdom deals with all of life. And sometimes we get in a place where we do not know what to say. We do not have the power to fix. And I want you to realize that in situations like that, we have to recognize how limited we are. In other words, there are some matters that we can't fully wrap our minds around. Some matters that remind us that we are simply creatures that we have a very limited perspective. These are the things that remind us that we need to be humbled before God, and we need to assess ourselves accurately. I think there are times in life that God allows us to go through great tragedies, not because he's cruel and not because he's hateful, but it's because we need to be reminded that we are creatures. We need to be reminded that this world is a broken and fallen world. This is not the best life we're going to have. We do need to be reminded that we cannot control all of the circumstances of life. We do need to remember that there's a God in heaven that we have to trust, that we need to submit to, that we are ultimately dependent upon. He's the one that actually sustains us and carries us through those moments, And so God allows us to go through perplexing situations that humble us and bring us to our knees because that's where we should always be. But those circumstances remind us that's where we need to be. I also want to mention this. We need to remember that this physical world and the years that we spend it in this physical world are not all that there is. If that's all that there is, then life would be very tragic life would really be very meaningless. There would be no hope. In fact, one of the things that I'm reminded of is that there are many people living today who are going through a lot of the difficulties of 2020. It's been an extremely difficult year for so many people. And when they look at this year, because they have no hope, they come away saying life is a tragedy. And the reality is that if that's all there was, their assessment would be correct. But I want you to realize that's not all that there is. You know, as a Christian who sees a world that is as as it's being described here in Ecclesiastes chapter six, I'm reminded that there is more than the grave. There is more than the time we spend on this planet. There is more than the gifts that we enjoy or the things that we are not able to enjoy on this side of eternity. And there's a God in heaven who looks down on a broken world and he's going to redeem that broken world. And he's going to redeem people out of that broken world. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to establish a righteous rule whereby you and I who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will enjoy his creation restored and perfect as he intended it to be. And so in the midst of tragedy, we need to realize that from a biblical worldview, from a Christian worldview, there's hope. But if you don't have a Christian worldview, If you don't have this perspective where there's a God in heaven who's sovereign and who actually redeems mankind to himself, if you don't have that perspective, then life is an endless tragedy that can't get done quick enough. So I want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. In verses 18 through 23, he really expresses both the tragedies and the hardships of life and the glory that's to come. And he emphasizes really the reason that we have hope, and that's the gospel. In Romans 8.18, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, when he says, I reckon, Paul is basically saying, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make a calculation. In other words, I'm looking at life as it is, and I'm looking at life as it will be. And in my perspective, as I make the calculation, I recognize suffering is present on this side of eternity. It's real. It's very difficult. He says, but it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, the tragedy of life pales in comparison to the glories of eternity. In other words, Paul expresses both sides, the tragedy and the glory that's to come. But the reality is that there is nothing but tragedy apart from the gospel. He then goes on to say this, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. He says all of creation is longing for that moment when the futility of this broken world is replaced with a perfection of glory. He says all of creation is earnestly waiting for this is groaning as they wait for this. He says the creature was not made subject to vanity willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. He says the creature shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which are the first fruits of the Spirit, We ourselves groan, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. The Apostle Paul is expressing nothing different than what Solomon is. Yet the Apostle Paul is going beyond what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. He is recognizing that there is tremendous difficulty on this side of eternity. He recognizes that there are perplexing circumstances that we cannot wrap our minds around. There are tragedies that are common to men. He talks about the fact that this world is broken and it has so much trouble in it. But Paul recognizes that because of the gospel and because of God's grace and God's goodness, in spite of the brokenness of this world, there is a coming glory. And so Paul persevered, and Paul bore under that load, and Paul was willing to recognize he couldn't answer all the questions. And Paul was ready to realize that there were some situations he didn't have answers for on this side. And he says, I'm going to trust God, and I'm earnestly waiting for eternity. And so I want to ask this very important question to you this morning. Can you, with the Apostle Paul, recognize both the complex challenges of this life and the guarantee of future glory? Do you have that hope, that confidence, that steadfast assurance? Because if you have not embraced the gospel and turned to him and placed your faith in the finished work of Christ, the reality is you cannot live in that position of, yes, the struggle, but yes, the future glory. I hope that this morning as you think about this passage in front of us that really expresses some very difficult things, things that we cannot fully comprehend or wrap our minds around, things that should humble us and things that should get us to our knees and things that should cause us to look up and say, God, apart from you, I have nothing and I am nothing. I hope that you walk away from this study this morning realizing that there is an eternity to come There is a future glory and it is all wrapped up in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that that has not left you discouraged, but rather encouraged. If this has been a blessing to you, I hope that you'll share that. And Lord willing, tomorrow, I hope to be able to give you the next section here in Ecclesiastes chapter six. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the study we've had this morning. Help us to walk away with the full picture not just the negative, but help us to look at all that is involved. In fact, there is a future waiting your children, one of glory, one of righteousness, one of perfection. And so I pray that you'd help us to look with eager anticipation towards that day, to be faithful in spite of the challenges that we face on this side of eternity. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, Lord willing, we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a wonderful, blessed day. Bye now.